0: sneaking one in before the show. I get to say it. This podcast is brought to you by HydroJug. Hydration made easy. Yes. I want to make sure you, listener, you know that these drugs have been so helpful for us. Ever since Sarah's daughter's science experiment on hydration, by the way, I say that three times fast, I realized we needed more water. I legit got Matt one of these for work and it reduced his caffeine cravings and helped his energy. And if I don't use and drink from mine, I see dehydrated show up on my health test strips that I've been using. And my daughter's
1: science fair project was so interesting. She showed that hydration actually improves our cognition, including executive function and working memory. And she won the blue ribbon, got a proud mama moment there.
0: I am also proud of her. And it helped me realize how important this was. If you haven't heard us talk about these awesome BPA-free, super convenient jugs, let me tell you why they're awesome. They come with a carry loop, an integrated handle, which means it's easy to carry with you wherever you go. And despite the volume of water you've got with you, it's pretty easy. Admittedly, I leave one at my desk just to make sure that I'm getting my daily water intake because it means less time on refills. Water
1: science fact. 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated, and water is crucial to your health. Every cell and tissue inside your body requires water to function. It's even important for the gut microbiome. And not just any amount of water, but about a gallon
0: a day could make a really huge impact on your overall health. So to recap, it holds half a gallon of water, has a wide mouth opening... We actually got their straw inserts and love those too. Has an integrated handle with an optional carrying loop. Is dishwasher safe, shatterproof? Plus it has a wide mouth that you can add things to like supplements, ice or fruit to the BPA-free jug. And the sleeve has a great pocket
1: for things like cell phone or keys. It's great for hikes and camping that way. It would be a perfect gift for teens playing sports or someone that is on the go because by choosing HydroJug, you are becoming part of the movement to stop the waste since every day roughly 60 million plastic water bottles are thrown away.
0: HydroJug is offering you 10% off with code WHOLEVIEW. Head to thehydrojug.com to customize your jug and use code View for 10% off your purchase. That's
1: thehydrojug.com slash discount slash WHOLEVIEW
0: all the feels on this one. Because that's what the science says. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. Let's talk about what this looks like in real life. Facts do not have opinions.
1: And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health.
0: Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Science is true, whether or not you believe in it. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View, episode 479, where we are revisiting a topic because I might have some personal experience I want to share. I am so excited, not
1: just to to reshare this topic, because I think it is so phenomenally important to understand the physiological impact of chronic stress, whether that chronic stress is psychological, physical, chemical, environmental. Um, There's lots of different things that can add to our stress burden, and it's really important to understand How that impacts our health so that we can take action to help mitigate that and improve our resilience. But also, Stacey, I'm so excited for you to share your story of all of the changes you've made in the last couple months to deal with stress and how that's impacted measurements of cortisol, because it's also going to give us an opportunity to pull threads from topics that we've covered on many different shows over the last couple of years where we've talked about various aspects of stress management and improving resilience, but never really pulled together into to one place.
0: Yeah. I mean, I thought, not I thought, I mean, I'm super dialed in on my diet and lifestyle choices, um, but it didn't surprise me at all to see that when I took a health test that I had high cortisol, because I have had, since the first time I tested in 2015. And I probably have since I was like a teenager. I'm just a worrier by nature. Um, And I made some pretty significant changes that I've been talking about on social media that a lot of people have been asking a lot of questions about. So I thought this would be a good way for us to share the choices that I made, but also the measurable impact that they had, and how I implemented them, because that's how That's what a lot of people seem to be struggling with in terms of how they're asking questions. So, let's re-dig into why this is important um, in terms of a huge pillar of health, and then I can share more information about my updates.
1: All right. So, time warp back to (laughs) episode three fifty one, where we talked about the health impacts of chronic stress, and then we'll dive into all of the awesome things that you've you've done to reduce yours.
0: Stacey Toth here, your better beauty advocate. I partner with Beauty Counter to help get safer products into the hands of everyone through legislative change. And not only am I in it for the mission, but they are my favorite non-toxic personal care products. And I'm offering you a sample and special discount code. (coughs) What? Me too? I already hooked you up. Did you get the makeup yet? What did you think about that new Think Big All-in-One Mascara? Oh, and I'm curious to know what you thought about the hand sanitizer, the Hand Savior Anti-Aging Serum that's also a sanitizer. Yes, actually, it just arrived. My kids call normal hand
1: sanitizer paper cut finder, but the Hand Savior is more like a moisturizer. I can't believe it's 60% alcohol, and I can't believe how amazing the Think Big Mascara is. You're really telling me it's not full of icky chemicals because... It's the bomb.
0: <laughs> no, you didn't say that. <laughs> okay, friends, I want to hook you up too. Maybe you'll love it as much as Sarah. I know switching to safer can be expensive. Research, development, and testing for safety and performance against 23 human health endpoints takes time. But I love finding ways to help you maximize swapping. So here's how. When you shop using an email that's never purchased before, use code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off your entire order, including the new mascara, makeup, skincare, and holiday sets. Plus, if you add the perks program, Bandit Beauty, that's not Columbia House, it's like Prime for better beauty, you'll also get two free gifts, the charcoal facial mask and the peel that Sarah also loves, and 10% back as product credit.
1: Oh, even the Ready Set Makeup set I got for the girls, we went straight for a makeup tutorial
0: in the bathroom. Yep, that one's awesome and included. Check out my healthy inside and out emails for more special deals. For example, this month I'm donating pouches with a purchase to breast cancer warriors. I love getting to support you and a certified B Corp working to zero carbon footprint. If you aren't sure what you want, I'm happy to send you a sample. Email me Stacy at realeverything.com for a free consult, and don't forget you can shop at beautycounter.com/stacytoth and choose me, Stacy Toth, at checkout. And use code Clean for all twenty for twenty percent off your order. So this was actually a social media request. Um, as we say, we love we love you all. We love when you reach out to us and want us to talk about things. Sarah and I years ago talked about this on. AHS. Mm -hmm. And, um, we did like a, a joint presentation. And the irony was that I had like missed my flight on the way there and had so much stress and zero sleep because I didn't realize that the room I had selected was a dorm room and the bed was horrifying. And I was like with a bunch of college students who were up at the wrong hours for me. Um, and I had gone from East to West coast and I was operating on like two hours of sleep. And did not do well that weekend at all, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the irony of like doing that stress um, presentation and being under so much stress is not lost on me. But um, so it's good for us to revisit it. And in addition to that, I had talked about in social media. So I had my one month anniversary, so to speak, of um, working for myself as of last month, uh, last week. And I wasn't sure how it was going to go. I think I told I told everyone pretty clearly, like, it might be the kind of thing where I'm like, and I'm done. <laughs> um, or it might be the kind of thing that I love and we change our lives in order to make it be a permanent thing. And so um, coming out of the one-month mark, I had so many... Um, positives from a health perspective, you know, I was getting more sleep, um, which allowed me I, not only was I getting more sleep, but I had time to go to the Y and do water aerobics. I had time to juve and do red light therapy. Um, I had time to connect with people on, you know, a greater way. I've been having, you know, more phone calls and conversations and um, just things like that, that I wasn't able to do before because my schedule was like hundred percent work essentially. Um, And all of that led to me losing 10 pounds without changing anything else about what it was I was doing with my life. Um, And so it was... And that's in a month. That's... Yeah, in a month. Wow. And I had gone on vacation where we had gelato and um, (laughs) all kinds of treats on a regular basis. So um, for me, it was a really obvious sign that my body was too stressed before and hormones were getting back into a place where they were healthier and happier and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, as I talked about it in social media a bit, people asked if we could talk about the science of that and the science Mm -hmm. uh, that stress plays on our health, because we've mentioned it so many times before. Um, and it is one of those things that's known in popular culture as well. I mean, I've seen countless things on the internet, like stress is the number one killer. Um, Because it leads to so many other things like stroke and heart attack and stuff like that. So, um, I'm excited for this show, but I I think I'm especially excited because I'm mentally prepared to not walk away from the show
1: thinking you're not doing it from a place of irony.
0: Yes, exactly, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Sometimes we get off a show, and Matt and I, or you know, he'll listen to the show back, and he'll be like, "So we're going to need to (laughs) go to bed earlier, or whatever, you know." But like, I'm feeling really good about it because I'm like, "Yes, I'm implementing these things, and it is true." Um, So I hope that you can. Implement whatever part of this feels good to you and not walk away listeners feeling more stressed about the fact that you have stress because
1: that doesn't do you any no, good at that's all. It's not helpful. Yeah. Um but I think also one of the things like when you said let's talk about stress, I was like, like it seemed to me it felt like, really? We've we've never done this deep dive on the show before. Like we haven't really gone through all of the different ways that chronic stress impacts our body. And I think that like it's sort of a step one, admit I have a problem. I think uh, you and I have, you know, we've for many years now, six, six plus years of podcasting.
0: Are we? Yeah. We're coming up to seven years of podcasting. P.S. Together. Last episode was three fifty, and we like made zero deals of it. That's, kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal.
1: Uh, so let's, we'll celebrate um, retroactively this, this week. Woo-hoo! We've podcasted a whole bunch, um, but it seems like, I think it's one of those things that it's sort of, i chronically struggle with stress. Like that is my biggest challenge in terms of implementing healthy diet and lifestyle is the stress piece. And, um, and I've been working for myself this whole time. Uh, And it's still, it's, it's, it's my, it's my um, just, it's my type A personality, want to be everything to everyone, feel that kind of responsibility. That's my challenge. What, what are you talking about? I know. No, it's no one's familiar with that. And so, it's hard sometimes to talk about something that's so personal. And this really is. Like, I'm going to go through the science, but as I listen to this, you know, and I know all of this, I um, I want to be completely upfront that I also really struggle with a lot of the implementation. So we'll start with, like, what stress actually does to the body and why it's so terrible and what stress actually is. So sometimes we think that stress is just uh, psychological stress, but actually different types of stress compound. And then we'll talk about some strategies to both um, reduce stress and um, increase resilience to stress, which I kind of put under the collective umbrella of stress management, because sometimes reducing stress is not as easy as actually making our bodies more resilient to it. So we'll talk about that as well. But the, the obvious place to start is, is just talking about the HPA axis. So uh, some people might have heard this. It's one of those buzzwords, right? So like the, the term adrenal fatigue is now sort of being rebranded as uh, HPA axis dysfunction. And that's because um, there's many different ways that our adrenal glands can be up to shenanigans. And that actually impacts the details of how stress is impacting our body. And so adrenal fatigue just wasn't, it wasn't um, a robust enough term to encapsulate all of the different ways that our HPA axis can be dysregulated and not, um, not working normally, basically. So there's a lot of different ways that the HPA axis can break down or be out of balance. And that changes exactly ha- the symptoms that we're, we're suffering from, from chronic stress. Um, But what the HPA axis is, is it is our fight or flight response. It is how our, our bodies detect danger and prepare to respond to it. And so this involves the crosstalk between a couple of regions in the brain the pituitary gland, which is in the brain, and our adrenal glands, which are actually just, they just sit on top of our kidneys. And our adrenal glands are responsible for producing all of the hormones that are associated with stress, like adrenaline and like cortisol, uh, like norepinephrine. They also produce uh, androgens, especially testosterone and progesterone. So they also have a, a sex hormone production function as well. So what happens is uh, the hippocampus, is the area in our brain, that's not the H in HPA. So this is like the the hippocampus feeds into the HP axis. Uh, The hippocampus is the part of the brain that assembles information and makes decisions. So the hippocampus would say, see that lion that is chasing us and go, hey, hypothalamus, another region of the brain, uh, activate. So the hypothalamus is the region of the brain that um, is actually the hypothalamus and the pituitary there's a lot of hormonal axes in the body that start with hypo- hypothalamus and pituitary. So these are uh, regions of the brain that actually connect with every hormone system. And it basically is why every hormone system is um, impacted by things like stress. It's because of what happens in the hypothalamus. So the hypothalamus is the H in the HPA axis. And it when it gets its signal from the hippocampus to say, lion, ah, terrible, run away, It releases a hormone called corticotropin releasing hormone, or CRH for short, which doesn't have to go very far. It actually gets into our bloodstream, but really the the organ that is receiving that signal is the pituitary gland, still in the brain, and the pituitary gland is like the middle management for all of our hormone systems. So the hypothalamus is like the top manager, pituitary gland is the middle middle management. It um, receives the signal from CRH, and it produces another hormone called adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH for short, that gets into the bloodstream and goes to the adrenal glands. And that's the signal to the adrenal glands to start pumping out cortisol and things like adrenaline. Cortisol then ha- is, is part of what's called a negative feedback loop. So cortisol gets into the blood. It does all of the some you know good things if you're trying to survive from a lion, bad things if your stress is chronic and unrelenting. It uh, goes back to the brain and tells uh, the pituitary gland and the hypothalamus, uh, got it, got the signal, adrenal glands are, we're, we're, we're on it, like, no worries, stop yelling at us, we got it. So, um, so this is part of this feedback system. And what's true in the body um, for a lot of these types of feedback systems is when it's always on, we become resistant to the signal. So one of the things that happens is as, say, for example, specifically the HPA axis, um, if our adrenal glands can't keep up with the demand, and this is where you would start calling this HPA axis dysfunction or what used to be called adrenal fatigue and can't produce cortisol, you lose that negative feedback. And so you end up, making a lot more corticotropin-releasing hormone and adrenocorticotropic hormone. So some of the effects of stress are mediated through cortisol or adrenaline, but some of them are also mediated through these like higher-level signaling hormones. So it's not always all about cortisol. So I'm going to kind of lump together some of these effects, but actually some of the most detrimental effects of chronic stress are not actually from cortisol itself. It's from corticotropin-releasing hormone. So I, I just want to sort of give people that bigger picture of it's this entire axis that when we're under chronic stress and this axis is turned on all the time and we're pumping out all of these hormones into our bloodstream chronically, all, all day, every day, um, it's the collective action of all of these hormones that is causing so much problems. But it comes from... A place of, right, it comes from fight or flight. So if you think about acute stress, which is why the system exists, the system exists to increase our survival during uh, a dangerous situation. So that lion is chasing us. So what happens in acute stress is uh, essential functions for survival are prioritized. So that includes things like perception, decision-making, rapid decision-making, so like instinctual decisions uh energy for our muscles, preparation for wound healing, right? Things that would help us survive, uh help us either run away from that line, help us fight back, help us kill it, um, help us heal uh or at least start healing if we got, you know, scratched or something. I used that word instead of mauled because I thought mauled was a little bit too graphic. Um so we prioritized and ended up way. using I, that I, I anyway. Still, I still went with it. I just yeah, okay. I'm gonna keep going. Um So what happens then is functions that are not essential for immediate survival in that situation uh, are not prioritized. Uh, So that means things like digestion, kidney function, reproductive functions, growth, collagen formation, bone formation, protein synthesis, amino acid uptake by muscles, um, and also... um, impacts on the central nervous system that are not going to help us in that, right? So things like uh, how uh, these hormones are impacting our mood, our motivation, our fear, right? So think about um, uh, how that would change, how that would be necessary to impact survival in an acute stress situation. And then think about what happens when that signal is never turned off. Those, what are non-essential functions in a runaway from alliance situation are never prioritized. And so actually this collection of uh, hormones that are part of the HPA axis end up controlling basically every system in our body. So cortisol is a super hormone. Uh, we've talked about super hormones on, on the show before, like insulin is another super hormone that does a bunch of different things, right? Cortisol is also an important regulator of our circadian rhythms. So when our cortisol is really high. Our sleep quality is uh, typically eroded. But cortisol controls um, metabolism through impacting thyroid function. It controls digestion. It's impacting the composition of the gut microbiome. It directly... Um, impacts insulin sensitivity. So when your cortisol is high, you have insulin resistance, which leads to diabetes. It's impacting sex hormone production and sex hormone signaling. So um, basically hindering reproductive functions. It's impacting uh, growth hormone. That's one of the reasons why chronic stress has a very classic pattern of putting on weight in the middle Um, and it's through the impacts on growth hormones. You can't necessarily access your stored energy very well. So it's changing how we're using stored energy. Basically, we're not very well. And instead, we are putting on any excess energy from our meals uh, into our trunk. And this is also, right, uh, prednisone, for example, is a drug that's mimicking cortisol. So think about all of the side effects of prednisone. Those are all actions um, that cortisol has in our body And under chronic stress, we're basically giving ourselves all those side effects without the drug. Um, it's impacting bone remodeling. So, that's why stress is, um, chronic stress is linked with increased risk of osteoporosis. It's impacting kidney function. Chronic stress increases your risk of chronic kidney disease by 15 times. 15 times. That is ridiculous. There's very few things. Uh, smoking only increases risk of cardiovascular disease by like f- f- 10 times. Like, it's 15 times is huge it's impacting immune function. So it's weird because it changes where the immune system is working. So think about the lion. The immune system is overactive in the skin, uh, but then underactive everywhere else, which is a problem. It's why chronic stress is basically linked with every chronic illness. It literally controls blood flow, um, one of the big reasons why chronic stress is linked with cardiovascular disease. And it has these direct impacts on the central nervous system. Um, So it's actually impacting things like um, mood, it's increasing depression and anxiety. So when when that signal does not get turned off through all of the effects of uh, cortisol, corticotropin-releasing hormone, uh, basically chronic stress is inflammatory, but it also reduces immune function. So we are inflamed, but we're not able to fight off a virus as well. Um, we're inflamed and it also is going to um, decrease, um, our ability to detect a cancer cell. It's, um, cause our immune system is also patrolling our body for cancer. It's, um, that's why chronic stress is linked with autoimmune disease because it basically increases inflammation without, um, making the immune system function better. So the immune system's actually just can't, it can't regulate itself. It uh, directly causes leaky gut, increased intestinal permeability, and gut dysbiosis. It reduces sleep quality and dysregulates circadian rhythms, which impacts all kinds of systems in the body. So, for example, that is increasing hunger, cravings, uh, chronic stress, increases addictive behavior. It depresses mood. It increases depression and anxiety. It hinders things like um, cognitive... Uh, ability, produ- productivity, problem-solving, memory, causes insulin resistance, as already mentioned, and causes sex hormones imbalances. So basically every system in the body is negatively impacted by chronic stress. Um, and I think actually, you know, when I... So when I do um, presentations to business people, so uh, like entrepreneurs and people who are working for themselves and um, the have the same experience that I have that I work much harder for myself than I probably would for a boss. Uh, that's a pretty common, uh, common phenomenon among entrepreneurs. I often talk about the importance of managing stress from a productivity standpoint, because it's understanding that not taking time out of your day to work on stress management is actually reducing how much you can get done in the day. Like you're actually robbing yourself of more time by not taking that time to work on stress. And so, you know, we can talk about the impact on, on gut. It's devastating. Stress is devastating for, for gut function. We could talk about the immune system. It's devastating for the immune system. That's why it's linked with basically every chronic illness. But I think that the, the impact on how we're able to accomplish our to-do list to me is, um, for me, that resonates the most so um it's interesting because from an acute stress perspective right surviving from the, surviving that lion attack, you can see an actual um, improvement in brain function um faster decision making skills um, you so you see this like um burst of energy for the brain but once when stress becomes chronic, that 's one of the first things to sort of shift gears. And starts reducing um, performances it includes physical performance as well for for anybody who's cares more about the the gym than um, than what they can get done with their brain but um, it it reduces uh, physical and cognitive performance and productivity it impairs memory retrieval, so you can 't necessarily. Uh, access information that's in your brain. It impairs memory updating, which means learning. Uh, So if you learn something new, you can't update that piece of information in your brain to reflect the new information as easily if you're under chronic stress. Um, It causes a shift from what's called a flexible cognitive form of learning towards a rigid habit-like behavior. So instead of, for example, if you're trying to make a new healthy habit, Um, chronic stress would basically stop that. So it stops you from being able to make, um, or it hinders anyway. So it inhibits the ability to make conscientious choices and shifts you towards more um, habitual behaviors and instincts, uh, which, you know, our instincts are not always great given the stimulus in our modern society. Um, It hinders the transfer of knowledge and cognitive flexibility in problem solving. So you're not able to... um, it's not that you're, you're not able to access your memories, but you also can't apply that knowledge base that's stored in your memory to the problem at hand. Um, it reduces your ability to collaborate. And I think, uh, that's not a surprise to anybody because always the stressed up person in the office is a person no one wants to work with. Um, it reduces your attention and it, um, increases the time it takes to complete a task. Uh so it actually basically reduces your productivity and uh also has some really um uh, some gender different impacts on Uh, risk-taking behavior. So for men, it decreases risk aversion. So men will, um, partake in riskier behavior, but then it increases risk aversion in women. So chronic stress is potentially also magnifying, um, gender, uh, inequalities in the workplace, which is, uh, kind of crazy when you start thinking about it. Right. So, I mean, yes, uh, the impacts on the immune system are terrible. Um, critical uh, corticotropin-releasing hormone is strongly linked. It causes the increase of histamine. So if you're dealing with allergies or something like mast cell activation syndrome, like looking at the stress piece is really, really important. Uh, it increases the permeability of every barrier tissue in the body. So that includes gut barrier, but also like blood-brain barrier. So it, it has these really detrimental effects to our physiology. So, um, you know, the, the immune system effect is is very problematic. And that's discussed at length in like all of my book, I write the Paleo Approach, Paleo Principles, because um, so much of those books um, and my approach in general to diet and lifestyle are focused on regulating the immune system. But I think that, um, you know, our audience is pretty attuned to things to help reduce inflammation. If uh, you're listening to this and you are uh like me, you know that you need to be better at managing stress and yet you find that's a real challenge. Um this is I I really want to take like a different approach to to why because if you can carve out some time during the day for resilience activities, and we'll talk about examples of that, um it's it can actually make it so that um you're you're just so much more efficient in your day. That the, that you're more than making up for that time that you're committing to a resilience activity. So I thought that was kind of a fun, different way to sort of get at the importance of um, managing stress. Is uh, oh, it just makes you better at everything, like and healthier too. But also better. Um, one of the things I mentioned.
0: It's nope, it's, va- it's, it's okay. It's fascinating to me because we talk so often about like the nuance of different things, and you. I just want to kind of call. To attention that you've just gone through a huge list of things that are so impactful that maybe you glazed over and didn't really soak in how much negative impact stress has on health. Like it is overwhelmingly in basically every aspect of your life mm-hmm. causing incredible damage to your health. And so I think kind of the the next things that we're gonna go to we're we're moving into are assuming that we all are there and that we understand it. But if there are aspects of different kinds of uh, partitions of these, like Sarah said, she's got more information both on her blog and in her books about how and why some of these are like we've, we have a graphic that's here in our show notes that we can probably put up in this blog post as well, but that's just a, a touch of all of the information that you can find. So, if you need more motivation to change your lifestyle in whatever aspect is affecting it, I would highly encourage you to go find that. But I think what we're trying to do now is is show you that the science is unquestionably um, very solid in how negatively multitude of stress impacts people. And I think like you said, Sarah, early on, humans have a definition of stress with quotation marks mm-hmm. <laughs> like like it you know that thing doesn't apply to me but i uh, you know just from my own personal perspective one of the changes that i made in my life last year was not watching television programs that caused me Anxiety for the people mm-hmm. that were in them, and it I was it was like a huge impact because I was it was affecting my sleep. That I would like have dreams and nightmares or whatever, and everybody was talking about Handmaid's Tale and how good it was, and I was like, "That's just not a show I'm watching right now. <laughs> like I just can't take that stress." Um, and so there's there's things that you can consider in your life that you might not associate with stress that certainly impact your body's hormonal response. And that's what we really want to kind of make sure everybody's understanding is that that is the trigger for your health. I think
1: think that segues really, really well into my next point, which is stress isn't just work or family dynamics. So it's generally pretty easy for us to recognize psychological stress. So. Deadlines uh, traffic jams, bills um, you know are again right uh, deadlines that are at our job or a teenager or an in-law right like those those types of stressors we tend to recognize we also tend to feel fairly powerless in terms of reducing them so I know we're gonna talk about that as well, but uh, different types of stressors compound so. I want to emphasize physical stress, so this might be something like a really vigorous workout, sitting at a desk job for a prolonged period of time, not getting enough sleep, other things like an injury or extreme uh, environmental temperatures right so if you if you work outside and it's really, really crazy hot or really, really crazy cold, those are physical stressors as well, but one of the most important things to understand when the psychological stressors feel beyond our control is that they're additive. So if you're dealing with a deadline at work, that is not a good time to be pushing it at the gym because the physical stress of your hard workout is going to magnify the effect of the psychological stress, right? So there's like this happy medium where exercise is a resilience activity and can help reduce stress, but a vigorous workout, a, a like endurance training, or even like really heavy lifting, those things can actually, those cause uh, increased stress. Um, not getting enough sleep is the most common physical stressor. And then it feeds into, into, uh, everything else because not getting enough sleep actually decreases our resilience to stress. And then, we're more easily stressed out over whatever deadline or, or traffic or spilling coffee on our favorite blouse. And then that erodes our sleep quality. So um, it's really important, I think, to recognize physical stressors on top of psychological stressors. There's also chemical stressors. So I always make the assumption that nobody who listens to our podcast smokes. And I realize that I should not make that assumption. Um, smoking is an incredibly... Corrosive chemical stressor, alcohol, drugs, but even something like an allergen would be a chemical stressor. As Stacey and I, before we started recording, we're talking about how we both accidentally (laughs) were glutened recently. That is a chemical stressor on our bodies. And we need to be aware of that as we're looking at managing stress. Um, Sensory stressors also exist. So, um, for example, loud noises, overcrowding. Uh, very bright lights. So think about something like an airport. That is a sensory stressor from the, you know, the crowds and trying to navigate and all of the different things going on that are challenging our sensory perception, as well as a physical stressor, because you're, um, you know, sitting for prolonged periods of time. And, you know, you've got, and then a psychological stressor if your flight's not on time or you don't like traveling, right? So it, it will it will, all, all of those are additive. So I think it's, it's really important when we're talking about stress to recognize that all of these small things build up. So things like just waking up to an alarm clock is a physical stressor. So where we can reduce stress is sometimes not, I mean, we can't control typically, um, our families, um, you know, Most of us need to work to pay bills and we've got bills, right? So they're like, there's certain things that, that I think most of us do sort of feel, um, feel like there's not, there's nothing I can do to reduce that stress, uh, given society and the way my life is structured. But there's these other places that we maybe don't recognize are contributing to our stress where we can reduce stress, being smarter about exercise, being smarter about movement throughout the day, prioritizing a bedtime, um, thinking about um, what we're putting into our bodies and if any of those things are a chemical stressor. Right. So um, so really thinking about stress in this more comprehensive way, I think, is a really important aspect of not just recognizing how stress is impacting our bodies negatively, but recognizing what stress we each as
0: individuals are facing. I've got nothing to add. <laughs> I know you paused for me, but I think I think you pointed out such great examples. Um, for example, sensory stressors someone might not consider. Um, I think everybody knows that... Um, Maybe the only other thing I would add is is emotional stress. I know that mm-hmm. you said um that falls under psychological but yeah. yeah, but i I think, like for us, um the loss of Matt's brother two years ago and then you know my back injury, both huge stressors um were the cause of a lot of changes in our lives and created stress for me beyond, you know, what I had before. And that's why kind of building up and going into those years with those stresses still existing, um, it's kind of like running in the background. Like you don't actively think, oh, those things are already stressed. And therefore, you know, this one little straw is actually going to break the camel. Um, and that is definitely what was happening for me. And so, I wasn't getting enough sleep on a regular basis, but then it was like a, it was like a baseline that was already too low as it was. But then I would have certain days where I would get a lot less sleep or I'd be extra stressed and I'd toss and turn and not get good sleep or, you know, different things like that. And that is where I think our lives take us where we're not, I mean, we're aware that it's happening, but not to a degree of like, whoa, I need to stop. And I need to think like, what can I do to get myself to bed early tonight? Or what can I do to, you know, whatever. And I think we're going to go into a little bit of um, reducing stress. But um, what I want to point out is, you know, for example, a lot of the questions that I was getting around new moms and the sleep that they have, and, you know, what can you do because you're obviously all of the sudden going to get much less quality sleep. And the answer is, you know, the same thing that people have been saying for as many years as I'm aware, like sleep when the baby sleeps. Right. And when people ask, much since the beginning of language, exactly. Um, and when people offer to help you take them up on it, don't be polite Tell them to do the dishes or to fold the laundry and put it away. Or, you know, the things that you need that are stresses in your life that are just like those nagging things in the back of your mind, like, oh God, that messy closet. For Mm -hmm. some people, that is a stress. And every time you see it and every time you think about it, it's like this noise that's running in the background. it's more
1: stressful than the time it would take to clean it. Yep. Yep. I'm like that. I'm, um, I'm a person who... Um, like I could take a day off and like do something really amazing that would fall be considered a resilience activity, but the longer to do list is more stress for me than the benefits I would get from the resilience activity for like, I'm thinking like a spa day or a day on the beach, right? Like something like that. I'm a person who, I mean, I have to incorporate resilience activities into my everyday um, but I, I, the best way that I can manage my stress is to actually get stuff done. And I think a lot of how we manage stress is individualized because it, it, stress impacts us all differently and, um, how we can each best handle stress is, is all sort of like, it's a, it's an individual, a uh, challenge to sort of problem solve. But I do want to add, that a lot of what we're dealing with at a, at a society level right now in terms of stress, right. Uh, Not just um, the tribalism that we're seeing right now, but uh, the lack of tight knit communities. Um, You know, whenever I see somebody who's like, they, they live in a small town or their neighborhood and they have neighborhood parties and like all of these things that reminds me so much of my childhood, but it's not something that's the norm anymore. So the whole like, um, all of the moms on the street take turns watching all of the kids so that the other moms can get a break. Like that used to be the norm. And it's, it's not anymore. If you have that, um, I hope you appreciate it because it's, it's, it's unusual now. And I think that a lot of the stress that we deal with, and I I don't have a solution for this, but a lot of it, I think, is how isolated so many of us feel and how like social media, which is supposed to keep us all connected actually magnifies feelings of isolation rather than providing actual connection. Right. And it's, I, I I don't, I don't have any like magic solutions because all of these things, it's like a cost benefit and here's, here's the cost part, but obviously there's great benefits to things like the internet. Um, But I think that part of our challenge as a society as a whole is how far we've gotten from, um, being members of these like tight knit communities and community support and raising children by community, um, and, and that real, um, close human connection. And those are things that are, it's not just that it's contributing to all of our stress, but it's also, um, removing a tool that we used to have for stress management.
0: That's such a good point. I think also culturally families used to live multi-generationally in the same home and help each mm-hmm. other out and, you know, think how much easier it would be in terms of meal planning and shopping and childcare and all of that stuff. If you had more people in the house to share those responsibilities. Yeah. So, um, the more you can do to focus on those things where when you think to yourself, Oh, you know what I mean? Like when you just try to be aware, maybe just have a piece of paper that you take around with you in your pocket for the day, um, or for the week. And like write down the moments where you were just feeling like, ugh, you know, like just, oh, Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. And then take a a look at your life and think how you can potentially either replace those or delegate those or reduce those or deal with them right away so that they don't become something long-term that provides ongoing stress for you. Good, good tip. (laughs) Good tip. Don't procrastinate. I mean, a, a tip—a tip. tip that I had um, from someone in January and became—I don't really do resolutions, but it became something where I was like, I really want to focus on doing this more—is emails. Like, emails is one of those things that really like overwhelm and frustrate me. I'm a super organized person, and when emails come in and they're things that I need to like take time to do. I can't just respond to someone right away. I need to, you know, think about it or I need go to do the thing and go to exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it frustrates me cause they just like sit in my inbox and I want my inbox to be clean and organized. And so emails create that like, uh, for me, you and should not look at my inbox then. Okay. I will use the should word, but Uh, I understand that other people... I meant the should word right there. (laughs) Don't look at my inbox. I understand that other people don't have that same level of stress from... Like they don't see it the same way I see it, which I don't judge other people. My phone, if you look at my phone, has like 5,000 notifications on all the apps. I don't see that. It doesn't bother me. And I know that it does for other people. For me, the number in my inbox and... I get stressed feeling like I'm not being responsive to someone and that I might lose something and forget something like all of those things stress me out. And so what I've started doing is trying not to look at my inbox until I'm able to be responsive. I think that's like Mm. a number one thing that's been helpful for me is, you know, I used to always just like frequently check it. And and then all it was doing was creating this need for me to like feel like I needed to respond. And so my point is I didn't have to change how much email I was getting, although I did unsubscribe from a lot of things. Um, <laughs> but it was the way that I was handling that, that enabled me to reduce my stress because the email's still there and I'm still going to be responsive in the same amount of time that I was. I just reduced the amount of stress that I had in between that time when I could be responsive. So that's just my personal example. In I addition that's to, a really... it's a lot more practical than quitting your job.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. I, um, and I think that, those types of tips. So like one of the things that I do is I batch my time. So, um, I was finding a sort of as my audience, um, increased as my team got bigger. So there's more, uh, people for me to manage. Um, and I'm a, I'm a big ideas person. This isn't going to surprise any of our regular listeners. So I always have way too many projects on the go. That is actually reasonable for me to accomplish at any given time, because I always have, there's always so much I'm really excited to do and so as the work part of being an author and a blogger and a public speaker and an educator and a podcaster, as, as that part increased, um, I was, you know, like I would have my, um, you know, Facebook page up in this tab and my email up in this tab. And then the, uh, research that I was doing in these six tabs. Cause they're all right. Different papers, whatever that I'm reading. And then my word document for my book up over here, my word document for the next blog post over here. And like, I, I would have all of these different things up on my computer at once. And it was really easy to just click and be like, and I'll just check my email or I'll just, um, see if, uh, anyone asked questions on that recent social media post. Um, or I'll write, I'll, I'll work on the writing for this and the writing for this at the same time. And then I'll also work on some research for the next podcast. And it became like, I was trying to do too many things at once that I was so easily distracted by whatever was open in the other window or on that other tab. And that really became what I had to do was start a schedule for myself. So not just a to-do list for the day, but I'm going to work on this, From this time to this time and this from this time to this time. And that included returning phone calls, returning emails, talking to my team um, so that my time is batched and I'm basically working on one task at a time and then I'm much more efficient. And sometimes it's just like here, I just need this 10 minutes. Um, but this is all I'm doing for this 10 minutes. And then I've got this hour. And so when I'm working on the book now, I have everything else closed. My phone's on do not disturb. Like everything else can wait. Obviously, if something goes wrong with the school, the school can get through that. Um, and then I could go pick up a sick kid or whatever. But um, but I've made it so that um, everything that I do has its own carved out focused time. And just in terms of managing um, work stress, um, that has that has been very, very helpful because my brain is focused on one task at a time. Um, And then also I have found that incorporating movement into my work so that my work stress is not compounded by sitting all day. Um, You know, we've talked about treadmill desks on the show before, but that has been another, um, another really important strategy for me to just, and I don't, it's not that I walk on my treadmill desk all the time. Um, There's only certain types of uh, tasks that I do where walking really works. And there's other things where I just, I need to be able to twist my body and look over on the side of my desk. Um, or I need to be able to have more fine motor skills. Um, so there's other things that I do standing, but being able to incorporate movement has been another huge strategy. This is still, I think all,
0: all under the umbrella of reducing stress. Make sense? Absolutely. And, um, it is a lot of those things are also, um, skills that I've incorporated. And since being home, um, I've been able to use the treadmill desk more. I think the thing for me was, um, a shoe issue, like with my back, I have to wear like supportive shoes, period, anything, even like a flat, a work flat would not work. Um, And so I was like, I don't want to take off my shoes and they'll be stinky. Um, And I couldn't wear tennis shoes into the office. And I, this one time I got called into like this fancy meeting and I had my, on my tennis shoes from the walking desk. So um, it became this thing that I didn't use. And that's another one of the things that I started doing more of. And we're talking about, at least from me. When my walk, my walking pace is somewhere between one and two miles per hour. Like we're, this is Mine not.
1: Mine is 1.7. Yeah. Precisely
0: 1.7 miles an hour. And, and so. up to that. Exactly. Yes. And so we're not talking about like, this is your, this is your exercise. workout it's for the day. Exercise. It's It's movement. And gentle movement is a wonderful way to keep your body active without adding stress. So, all right. You have, you have a list of, of different kinds of, we're talking about reducing stress, but we also have some resilience resilience things we want to share, right?
1: Yeah. So, um, I think when it comes to managing stress, right, there's two sides to the equation, reducing stress wherever we can, right. Ask for help, delegate, uh, say no. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and problem solve ways that you can be smarter about things, right? So identifying how, what are your stressors and what you can do, like not reading the email until you know you're going to have time to respond to it. So it's not sitting there in the back of your brain. So that all falls under the banner of reducing stress. There's this whole other piece, which is increasing our resilience to stress, which means that the stressful thing doesn't have as big a physiological impact on our body. So our bodies literally are not responding as, as big to that thing, right? So that thing just basically loses a little bit of its impact. So we're more resilient to that stressor. So there are, you know, uh, resilience is a thing that is defined in psychology. It um includes very uh, various psychosocial characteristics this is things like positive thinking and humor and self confidence um being a planner uh positive risk taking as opposed to negative risk taking realistic optimism there's all of these character traits that basically will determine your baseline resilience but you can build that so um you know one of the things here is uh identifying the need for, um, let's say therapy, right. Some kind of, uh, we've talked about things like treatments for PTSD on the show before. So that kind of falls under this resilience banner, but then for, um, let's say the, um, average person who, um, doesn't necessarily have a, um, thing that is reducing their resilience, Um, but just doesn't have a good balance between stressors and resilience and and can work on building up resilience. Uh, There's really three things that I think are the most important to focus on that can increase our resilience to stress. One is prioritizing sleep. So we've already talked about the sleep stress um, snowball of badness. Um, so making sure that, that we're sleeping on a regular schedule. So that means going, having a bedtime, even as adults going to bed at the same time every single night and getting enough sleep is probably the single best thing we can do to improve our resilience to stress, um, movement and activity. So, uh, not, Overtraining, not vigorous training, but basically living an active lifestyle. So that can involve going for a walk in the evenings or during lunch break, um, incorporating movement throughout the day. Um, so there's a lot of studies showing that um, activity, uh, sort of sub 60% VO2 max. So that would generally, for most people, considered mild, maybe mild moderate level activity. So uh, brisk walk level, conversational pace. So a level of activity where you can chit chat the whole time. So I, I, you know, I will sometimes have workouts at the gym where I'm just biking like 25 K on a stationary bike with my trainer. And we're just like chatting the whole time. It's basically like an exercise tea party without the tea. Um, that level of, um, of intensity actually can reduce cortisol. And pretty much as soon as you get to about 60% VO2 max, you're increasing cortisol secretion. So you're, adding a physical stressor. So movement in that sort of mild zone and basically the, the more the merrier at that point. So uh, going, going for a walk for, you know, 20 or 30 minutes is great, but you could also go for two hours. So provided it's in that very, it's not a physical stress, it's a conversational piece. It's the type of pace that you can do forever without it ever building up. Um, that is a really amazing tool. And there's ways that you can incorporate that movement, right? So we talked about a treadmill desk, or you can get desk cycles, desk ellipticals, there's other movement um, solutions for for work spaces. Um, But wherever that you can sort of incorporate that into your life is going to be helpful. Obviously, if you compare that with nature and get the benefits of nature. That's going to be even better because nature also reduces stress, you know, lowers your blood pressure, um, improves immune function, and that's the entire stimulus of nature. So the sights, the sounds, the, the smells, right, the sensations—like all of those things collectively help to calm the HPA axis. Um, but there's ways that you can incorporate movement in a more, um, let's say, efficient way uh, with the to-do list in mind. So that's number two. So sleep, uh, activity, and the other one is mindfulness practice, um, some kind of meditation. Now, um, Stacey and I have talked about this on the show before. Um, meditation can look very different for a lot of people depending on what resonates with you. So for some people, it can be as simple as um, working on a breathing exercise that takes your attention. So if you do something like count to four, both your um, inhale and your exhale, that's not a normal a breathing cadence. So it requires focus. And then you're not focusing on the to-do list that email you know you have to reply to, whatever it is. Um, and studies show that that doing some kind of mindfulness practice as little as 10 or 15 minutes a day has a really big impact on our resilience to stress. Um, for some people, uh, it might be better to do a guided meditation, an app like Headspace or Calm or Insight Timer. Um, Or might be listening to uh, like new age, theta wave type music. There are a lot of biohack devices on the market now, some of which have some science and some of which have absolutely zero science to support them that are sort of designed to get your brain into these meditative theta wave, alpha wave type states. Um, There's also nature walks can be very meditative, um, something like a yoga class, uh, tai chi, um, martial arts are considered a form of active meditation. Um, so there's ways that you can sort of incorporate meditation. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to incorporate meditation. So finding something that resonates with you and trying different things until you find the thing that, um, you find, uh, enjoyable and that when you finish, you feel more at peace. Um, uh, you feel like, your to-do list is more manageable, right? That is that is the ideal situation at the end. And also a lot of mindfulness practices um, involves self-reflection, self-awareness, and that piece can help with the stress reduction, right? So as you are able to better identify um, and associate physical feelings with Certain thoughts, which is part of mindfulness practice, that can help you go like, aha! Whenever I think about this, I feel you know my heart rate increases. I feel more stressed. Uh, maybe this is a thing that I need to work on from a reduction piece. So mindfulness has a lot of science behind it. Um, it's a it's a very good strategy, and it's another thing that comes out of how our society is is structured differently now. We tend not to get a break. We've got the entire world uh, in a smartphone in our pockets now and we tend not to unplug, we tend not to have empty space in our day where we're just in our own thoughts. And mindfulness is basically a structured way to to replace that that time that used to be spent, you know, driving with no podcast on, not that I want anyone who's driving right now listening to this podcast to turn it off, but in the olden days, it wasn't even an option. Um going for a walk without the phone, right? So those those types of things we can also think about uh oldie timey uh, life and how we can incorporate a little bit of that as a meditative practice
0: as well. Wesley also calls days without a cell phone, the olden days,
1: <laughs> the olden days. <laughs> yeah. So, so does, I mean, does <laughs> so he like loses his cell phone privilege and he's like, I'm living in the olden days.
0: Uh, Wesley doesn't have cell phones. No, he just like refers to, he's, uh, he's of an okay. age where he doesn't, He's not able to quantify how long ago technology was like he's, he's so young, whereas Cole five years older has a sense of it a bit, you know what I mean? Anyway, so any, any time before technology is like antique olden days, that's what he calls it. So go Uh, back to the olden days with your, with your (laughs) de-stressing
1: I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, founder of the Autoimmune Protocol, and my best resource for learning all the ins and outs of the AIP within a rich and supportive learning environment is my six-week online course called the AIP Lecture Series, and the next session starts Monday, January 10th, 2022.
0: Sarah, I know you've been teaching this course for a long time, and your students absolutely love it. Can I read some of the testimonials you received just from the current session you're wrapping up now? Sure, go for it. Nicole wrote, Thank you for your warmth, your AIP mastery, and your dedication to answering each and every one of our questions with such kindness and attention to detail. Thank you for teaching the science behind the principles. And more than anything, thank you for your validation that this is hard and will get easier. The amount of energy you put into creating this course and responding to us in real time is felt and appreciated. And Heather wrote, I am grateful for this amazing course. Seriously, thank you for what you do this course has been worth multiple times what you charge and the amount of info the quality of information and the unbelievable level of support from you are really remarkable
1: ah and i'm grateful for the opportunity to truly make a difference in people's lives i hope you'll join me in my next session listener early bird registration is now open and you can get more information and enroll on my website thepaleomom.com or go directly to thepaleomom.com/go/aipls
0: Doodly-loo, 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 doodly-loo. Welcome back, listeners. How embarrassing was that little doodle noise? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now that we're back in the reality of real time, um, I think one of the things that I want to start with is the concept of cortisol. Obviously, we we talked a lot about chronic stress in um that show and prior shows, and honestly, Sarah and I did a research presentation on this way back in the day, uh, which is like my, my nemesis uh, situation that was so ironic because I was sleep deprived um, and stressed out during that stress presentation and had a bunch of symptoms from that. Um, But I think one of the things that really kind of woke me up was when I took the health test, which is a urine tests from Vessel Health. There probably are other ones on the market. Um, And you can also work with a medical health professional to do more comprehensive cortisol testing, which I did back in 2015 as well. Um, When that test came back and showed high cortisol, and it showed low magnesium and low uh, vitamin C, which I was already taking supplements for, I realized that I needed to do other things to address the cortisol dysregulation that was causing way more than just high cortisol in my body. (laughs) Right. Like we've heard, um, all the things that it affects. And one of the things that I don't know, is just kind of like a light bulb moment in my head as I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 40. I started doing all this stuff around my birthday. Um, a little bit before in the case of this um, testing, because it was my gift to myself to really take control of my health by taking tests and taking things seriously. And one of the things that I would knew all along was that coffee really affected me. Uh, we had a coffee show. I don't remember what the episode was way back when. Three,
1: 379.
0: OK, so actually not much farther off than this original show. Um And I talked about how I feel coffee, I feel anxious, I feel jittery, and I was only drinking coffee five to six times a week, and I would have one cup, and if I got coffee out, I would get half-calf. When I talk about how coffee and quitting coffee positively affect me, understand that I was not like consuming vast amount of coffee for this to make a difference and everybody is different how you metabolize coffee and how it affects your body is probably not the same as mine which is why working with medical professional which I'm also doing and taking tests to measure are so important
1: yeah I, I mean I completely agree with all of those things I think one of the things that as, as the observer, I I guess it's helpful to say I've been working with my functional medicine specialist on, um, cortisol testing after basically putting myself into full HPA axis dysfunction and chronic adrenal insufficiency back in 2014, when I burned the candle at both ends to publish two books in the same year. Uh, that was too much. Um, but I have, been doing like ongoing for a long time. It was actually testing cortisol every quarter and now it's twice a year. But so I, I do want to sort of share as well that I have a long experience doing this with a functional medicine doctor. But I think one of the things that as an observer of your recent journey, Stacy, is that I think you were surprised by the high cortisol because it's not like you were not doing anything to manage stress prior. I think you were already taking active steps to, to manage stress. And this was kind of a surprise because I don't think you expected it to come back high that way and show nutrient deficiencies that were directly attributed to stress. Like we talked about back in episode 446, where we talked about how chronic stress can deplete the body of some nutrients so I think um I think what would be really helpful for our listeners is maybe start with what you were already doing, and we can sort of share where we've already done deep dives into the science behind that and then um and then get into what you changed,
0: yeah, okay. I'm glad you have all these like references pulled because I'm just like throwing darts over here, and you're you're prepared with notes as always, so um I. Back in 2015, like you recognized that I was having a health crash and worked with medical professionals. It was at that time that I realized I had a thyroid nodule and um, MTHFR, IgA deficiency. I mean, like you name it, it was like a whole bunch of stuff. And at that time. You know, I was regularly strength training, but not doing what would be classified as like chronic exercised for increased cortisol or stress. What was affecting me at that time was more about the reduced carbohydrate and um, intermittent fasting and the um, stress that that caused on the body. We've talked about that on the show as well. Um I had weaned my last child. So after 10 years of being pregnant and nursing, I was having, like, my body was like, Wah! you know, like, it was kind of like, what's happening? um, And... I was living a very stressful life. I was doing the podcast. I was running a blog. I had a team of people that worked for us on the blog. I worked full time and I was a mom to three young kids and was not doing anything to regulate my stress other than lifting heavy things and putting them down, which did was good for me. Um, so I started the journey of focusing on all those health things of getting my nutrients to be sufficient, um, changing my lifestyle. And if you've listened to this show, you know that you know I left corporate America. It was one of the things that I did to address stress. And my children got older. Um, I started doing <laughs> breathing exercises because I used to call it <laughs> meditation. Mind- mindfulness meditation. Mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, which we've also talked about as being good for the show. Um, I focus on nutrients that support you know additional stress on the body when it comes to both supplements and um, nutrient-dense food itself and um, try to do a lot of self-care right like I I do a lot of self-care I take weekends to myself I actively build in self-care but I also have been having an unexpected life the last year and a half. I did not expect to be a work-from-home parent for the pandemic. And becoming like a virtual teacher, for better words, I wouldn't say that I was a teacher. I was not doing the job of a teacher. But I was managing four children, um, one of whom, you know, we've we've talked about was having a difficult time. Well, more than one of whom was having a difficult time, but one of whom, you know, I'm also working through a lot of um, trauma training and different kinds of stuff for therapeutic foster care. And that I would be lying if I said wasn't an additional stressor, just like it's a stress for a foster child to in and of itself be a foster child. It's also a lot for a foster parent especially an empath like myself to take on some of that stuff and to work through it and you know I can also point to going through you know going to therapy and taking classes and training and all of this kind of stuff but those were all like let's say I got my skill even when I quit my job but then there's a global pandemic and then my kids are all home and then I have you know non-neurotypical children who are struggling I have a foster child like my husband started working as a postal service worker um essential worker during a pandemic and was suddenly not home when he'd been the stay-at-home dad who cooked and cleaned and he was suddenly gone for 13 hours a day like you start piling all those things on and just doing some breathing and taking a bath was not enough (laughs) right (laughs) yeah um so I I I would say it was frustrating and disappointing. But at the same time, one of the reasons I took the test is because I knew things weren't right. I could tell that my mood was not stable. I could tell that my ability to self-regulate and um, how I felt just didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. And I wanted to get to the root of that. And taking a test, as hard as it is, when you're fearful of the results can be really overwhelming, but I just want to encourage all of our listeners to do the thing that we know is hard and do it anyway. I think it was last week that I joked, well, not joked, but I shared that quote about like um, if something feels hard or some something feels scary, like do it scared, right? It's, it yeah. still needs to be done and you can only help yourself if you have that information. So When I had the information, I could have just chosen to, you know, do a little more breathing or take a few more baths, but I really wanted to feel better and I was willing to make additional changes. And you and I, Sarah, have been doing so much work around the implications of lifestyle and sleep having more effect on stress than, for example, if I would have tightened up my diet, like, and I would have Mm -hmm. been more strict. I wanted to focus first thing on the lifestyle factors because I'd known from our own work that that would have more of an impact than anything else and that I wanted to address that first before kind of tweaking additional things. And when I told you that I was working on my cortisol, you were like, it's going to take two to three months to see it. And I'm so glad that you did because I don't know that I would have stuck with it. Because I kept testing and not seeing the results that I wanted, but I was like, okay, it's going to take two to three months. And sure enough, um, after the changes I made, which we'll talk about in a second, literally on the two month mark, almost to the day, um, I went from, there was no taper in my cortisol. It wasn't like going Mm -hmm. down, down, down. It was like suddenly it was high to it's normal. Um, And I, I retook the test this morning just to make sure it wasn't a fluke and it, still great. So so happy. Um, so it's been about three months now and I've been regulated for a month. So I'm happy to share what I did. Um, are there references or things that you want to talk about before I kind of dive into that?
1: Well, I think it's helpful to pull on a couple of different threads there. So one of the things that you just mentioned was that sleep was a really high priority for you. And we've obviously talked about sleep approximately a bajillion times on the podcast before, but the, the best podcast for our listeners to go to, if you're, if you're trying to take this and selectively like which topic to dive deeper on, that's going to be really relevant to you. We talked about the sleep stress cycle at episode 397 and really talked about how the, you have to work on them together, right? So the best thing you can do to manage stress is get enough sleep. And the best thing you can do to support sleep quality is manage stress. So it's really challenging to work on one, but not the other because they're so intertwined. So the best thing we can do to support sleep is actually to just sleep on a on a schedule. So go to bed at the same time, every night, get up at the same time, every morning, ideally spend eight to 10 hours in bed so that the, when you subtract the, the time that it takes you to fall asleep and any, you know, times that you might briefly wake up in the middle of the night, which is completely normal to, to briefly like wake up and look at the alarm clock and go, yay, I can sleep for three more hours. That is a, a normal, it's called a an arousal. That is a normal thing. You want the total time that you're asleep, once you subtract off that little bit of awake time or in the time it takes you to fall asleep to be seven to nine hours. That's how much sleep most people need. And there's a lot of science that shows it's not just that sleeping on a consistent schedule is really helpful for regulating the hormones that regulate sleep, cortisol being one of them, cortisol being like the, it's time to get up in the morning hormone, melatonin being the, it's time to fall asleep in the evening hormone. But it's also separately beneficial for our health compared to getting enough sleep and a low variability in what time we go to bed is a third separately beneficial thing. So it's it's physiologically just really important for our bodies to be able to sleep in a predictable schedule because there's it's such a it's a, such a concert of different hormones that are going up and down that help to regulate not just being asleep and being awake but all of the different physiological functions that are prioritized when we're asleep like tissue healing versus prioritize when we're awake, like energy for our muscles and digestion. So because it's it's so many different things that are going up and down, when we sleep on a predictable schedule, our bodies know what to do. It's not like our bodies know that we're going to stay up late and watch a movie and therefore tonight will not turn on our melatonin at the normal time. Our bodies will continue to turn on melatonin at the normal time. And then when you force yourself to stay awake, your body releases cortisol to help with that. And so you end up then interfering with your sleep patterns because you have too much cortisol in your system. So sleeping on a predictable schedule, super, super important. And then the best understood strategy for stress, for improving resilience to stress, right? So obviously taking stressful things off your plate is great, but not all of us have the ability to do that. So the best Science-based strategy for improving our resilience to stress is mindfulness, which we talked about in episode 432 in depth. And so, those those are things that you already had a little bit, but then sleep became a bigger focus for you. So why don't why don't you talk about that and the other things that you did?
0: Yeah, I think there. I don't remember which show it was we were listening to what we were do well, I was listening to you talk. <laughs> I was like <laughs> listening back to the show um that we were focused on but there was kind of like a light bulb moment for me where I was like okay. I I need to prioritize this because in full disclosure um my sleep looked a lot like a parent with a newborn. I had a new child in my home. Um and if you think about the timeline of that, the child's been with us for a year. And my sleep was not regulated. So just like we hear from a lot of, you know, parents with young children who say, gosh, you know, I want to implement all these changes that you're making or that you're talking about, but I have this person in my home that causes my sleep to be dysregulated. I knew that what I needed to do was to get to bed earlier and to get more sleep, like that... I could claim that I was getting eight hours of sleep a night, but really I was getting more like five to six because of the disruptions, because of how long it was taking me to fall asleep, because of the anxiety and the circling thoughts that I would have at night. And the you know, d- different kinds of things that might wake you up if you were, you know, stressed out, even if there wasn't an actual disruption, I might worry that there was and wake up. And so I knew that if I was going to bed earlier, especially at a predictable time, that my overall sleep would just kind of like iteratively, iteratively chip away, but I would still have eight to nine hours if I tried for, let's say, 10. Um, yeah. So when I thought about how do I get to bed earlier? (laughs) Because I have this burst of energy at night because my cortisol is dysregulated. And why do I have this burst of energy at night? Well, that's the time that I have before, uh, you know, after the children are in bed. And that's the time that I choose to be productive. What can I do to be more productive at a different time? Um, And I kind of like walked through some of these things in my brain. And the conclusion that I came to was that the one choice that I was going to make, and this is key for those of us who are rebel tendency, personalities, is I told myself that I was just going to change one thing. I was not trying to implement 47 different things to become a perfect person, that I was going to make one change. And I was going to see what that did for me. And that one change was switching my coffee to a smoothie in the morning. And the reason that I chose that is because we were all we also talk about how important nutrients and vegetables are. And I in particular was going to replace this coffee that I was having with collagen and grass-fed cream which there's nothing wrong with that but because of the hormones that I have and because I don't have a gallbladder and proper stomach acid that was all that my body would want until somewhere between 11 and 2 so I wasn't getting my first meal in until much later and we've done a show about how important breakfast is and then I basically was waking my body up At the afternoon. And so then it didn't want to go to bed until later. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell my body that I want breakfast in the morning. And the only way for me to get breakfast in is if I'm not doing coffee, because if I have the coffee, I don't want breakfast. And this will mean that I get more vegetables and like removing coffee will help with my cortisol because caffeine affects your cortisol if you're stressed already. So I knew that this was going to be a good choice for me. And I was like, I'm just going to focus on this one choice. And what that choice did was completely reroute my day. And Sarah, you and I talked a lot and and you were asking me some questions. And I was like, no, I didn't just switch to decaf. No, I'm not doing any crutches. I'm not going to like have a, a snack in the afternoon that would be like a pick me up for my brain. So a lot of times when you reduce your coffee in the afternoon, if you're feeling tired, your body might be like, have something sweet, have something. I took a nap, right? So I didn't tell myself that I wasn't going to do those things. It was just like, nope, I'm feeling tired. I need to take a nap. And so if you're going to do this, I would say maybe do it over like a break or a vacation or, you know, an opportunity that you have because that week of quitting coffee, like I didn't have headaches. I didn't have like all these withdrawals that people have because I was really focused on nourishing my body to replace that coffee that I was getting. And then I was taking time to really listen and prioritize my sleep. And so within probably two weeks, my biological clock completely reset. And it was was really quick in terms of you know, I, I missed coffee, but I saw the results really quickly in my body in terms of like my mood fluctuations and how stressful things felt and how cl- much more clear I was kind of able to focus at earlier times. So whereas before when I would have coffee in the morning and then I would like the schedule would kind of push my day late and I would have clarity in the evenings and I would want to work in the evenings, now I was getting up. On my own, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, which honestly is a bit annoying at this point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I might get up. What are you talking about?
0: My circadian rhythm does no longer let me sleep in on the weekends. It sucks. Um, that means
1: you're getting enough sleep. That's I know. A great sign. I know it
0: is. I know it is. Um, and I know that logically, but it's a little frustrating because my biological clock is like, boop, it's time to get up and go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, think, like... think about all the
1: time that you're reclaiming from an earlier yes. bedtime Monday through, well, every night all that time you're reclaiming with early mornings, Saturdays and Sundays that you can get
0: whatever you want. That You can do that t- time. You can use
1: that time for anything, right? And it is so. it is
0: super helpful for me to be able to work kind of first thing in the morning before mm-hmm. all the kids and everybody are up. So that productivity time I did not lose. I just moved it from late evening to early morning. And then like all the stuff that I kind of need to get done is done before I even start kid routine, right? Like I have that time to just like, we all have like things in our to do this that like have to do today. Now I have a window of time that I can do that and then my my body naturally gets hungry now. I can't tell you I mean honestly probably before I had children the last time my body wanted breakfast. Like it's not yeah. it's not something I want. So what that tells me and Sarah I'm sure you can kind of get into the science on all this is like not only did I kind of affect my cortisol, but my cortisol was affecting my metabolism. My cortisol mm-hmm. was affecting my sleep, my cortisol was affecting my digestion, um all different kinds of things like that that we know and my immune function that was another thing that I knew that it would help is that I tested highway blood cell count for my test results for my birthday. I talked about this a little bit on the Patreon last week, and I'll continue to share as things go on uh, on the Patreon. But um, I knew that to support my immune function, I needed to reduce my cortisol. Because when your body thinks that it's fighting a tiger, like it doesn't prioritize digestion or getting that last bit of You know, pandemic virus out of your system or different things like that. And so I was like, this is so important to my overall health and well being. I can't, like, I don't want to go into my 40s with inflammation and different kinds of things because I'm not addressing my stress. And so I'm able to point to, I quit coffee and all of these things happened like, but it wasn't just the coffee. I had to listen to my body. I had to get more sleep. I had to create structure um, around listening and doing the things that my body was telling me it needed to do to change. I had to be willing to tell the kids and my husband who are all still up at nine o'clock at night, I'm going to bed. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Um, and that's totally outside my personality, I know that that is your personality, Sarah, but like you know oh, people i'm in
1: I'm in bed uh before my fourteen year old for sure, yeah,
0: yeah. and so it it uh, that was new for me, right, like I had to be willing to make those changes because um anyway, I, the results speak for themselves is all I'm gonna say, and I'm really, really glad that i did it. And I want to just really emphasize to everybody that you don't know until you, until you test. And Mm -hmm. that, um, I know that it might be scary or it might feel like you don't have time for that. That's where this at home test came into play for me. Right. As I felt like I didn't have the bandwidth to dive into this, you know, you know, wherever, somewhere else. And it also felt like I was in control of it with the information, like I could do with it what I wanted. And I wouldn't have to get like a lecture from a doctor we've talked about. Um, the fat phobic approach with doctors like that's kind of ingrained in me right like i don't want to get a lecture from a doctor about you know assumptions that they're making um about my health or whatever and so i was like okay i'm going to take this into my own hands and yeah okay i'll pause there that's a lot um but i feel like it summarized everything so i got nothing else to say
1: <laughs> well, well let me share a little bit again sort of pulling on those threads about why swapping coffee for for breakfast would actually help to normalize morning cortisol. So coffee, as we talked about on episode 379, can magnify the stress response. And additionally, some people will have an inflammatory reaction to coffee and other people will have an anti-inflammatory reaction to coffee. So coffee is, it's more complicated than just the, the caffeine in it. Um, but generally caffeine while being the thing that can help magnify the stress response, can also be anti-inflammatory. It's really complex, and we all respond to it differently. But it's because of the capacity for it to drive the cortisol response to stress even higher and be inflammatory for some people that it's eliminated, uh, at least initially, on the autoimmune protocol And one of the things that happens when we drink coffee in the morning, it actually also has an appetite suppressing effect. So it increases that morning cortisol spike even higher. And then we don't want to eat breakfast. And we've talked about on the show most recently on episode 453 about the tremendous health benefits of eating breakfast and especially eating breakfast early in the morning before about 830 is what science says. And one of the reasons why eating breakfast is so helpful is that it helps to suppress that morning cortisol spike. So when we skip breakfast, we end up prolonging how long cortisol is up in the morning and that ends up, you know, they basically what they talk about is the area under the curve. So the it basically reflects that there's a lot more cortisol in the system for a lot longer period of time. And then that suppresses all of the biological functions that we talked about on the episode that we, we shared that are suppressed when cortisol is high and the HPA axis is activated. So that and not everyone needs to necessarily give up coffee in the morning in order to make breakfast a habit, but it's one of the things that I, I really had to work on breakfast as a, as a habit when we first covered it on the show about three years ago. And it took me about a year before I really felt hungry for breakfast. Um, You know, it was only a few weeks before it was fine eating breakfast, but it took a while for my body to be like, wait, it's, it's, it's 635. You're eating breakfast five minutes late. Where's your breakfast? Um, Yeah, I I get up at six. So eating breakfast at 630 is a, it's a a reasonable time. Um, So it's, it is something that takes dedication. And I think understanding that eating breakfast, it's an opportunity for more nutrition. Um, and the smoothies is a great option. Um, but it's also about helping to regulate cortisol. So we want our cortisol to spike in the morning. We just don't want it to spike crazy high and stay up for a really, really long time. And that's where though working on those two habits together, can be really, really helpful because if coffee is driving your cortisol even higher in the morning and making it so that you really can't stomach breakfast because it's not just not being hungry, but it's actual food aversion. Food aversion in the morning is a sign of very, very high cortisol. That idea of like, oh no, I don't want breakfast. That's not normal. That is that is not that is not a thing that's just, Oh yeah, you've just, I've, I've just never liked breakfast. It is a sign of elevated cortisol. And the the way to work on it is again, with this sort of like multi-prong approach, working on sleep, working on increasing resilience through mindfulness, lots of low strain activity, Stacey, which I know you've talked about on the show before. Um, and also that, that breakfast is a, is a really key part. So if coffee is stopping you from making that really good choice of eating breakfast, then coffee's got to go at least for a little while. Um, and otherwise, work on work on the breakfast. If if uh, giving up coffee is is a non-starter, working on the breakfast is is still something that you can do. And that's what I did. I didn't give up coffee. I just worked on eating breakfast with my coffee.
0: So I will say, um, as you noted, one of the things that came back for me is like the joy of wanting physical exercise. So I started uh, regularly attending water aerobics and different things that was kind of like ugh, a mental struggle for me because I was already at maximum capacity yeah. stress-wise. Um, and then of course you get all these other hormone benefits from the physical exercise, right? Like, so it's this snowball of goodness. We talk about the snowball of badness all the time, but like just quitting coffee had effects on all those things positively. Um, And like you said, it doesn't have to be forever. So I retested this morning and I will say I don't know that I'm ever going to want daily caffeine again. No, it's only been three months and I love coffee, don't get me wrong, but I feel so good and I already know that my body is sensitive to it that I just don't think I need it anymore. But that might not be the case for you. So don't feel like I don't want to give up coffee forever. It might be the instance where you get regulated and then you reintroduce. Reintroduction for me looks like I can have, I I, I tell myself not like I can have, I choose to have um, one decaf coffee a week and that can be out. Like I, I might enjoy my, you know, a beverage at a coffee shop or something like that. And one caffeinated tea a week. So I really like chai lattes and I really like green lattes, but they have some caffeine in them. I did not, I just want to be really clear. I did not move to just like, oh, I'm going to quit coffee, so I'm going to have tea instead. Because I would have put collagen in that, and then it would have been enough for me, right? Instead, I chose to put collagen bone broth powder in my smoothie, and to just focus on that for several weeks before I then said, you know what, I feel good, I'm going to get myself a tea, and I'm going to see how I feel. So, you know, I'm having to very slightly caffeinated drinks a week and like I said I tested this morning and my cortisol is still great that is enough for me right now I don't know what the future will hold but I know that like I feel good and I don't feel deprived and um, those are the things that really matter to me so I have one final question for you
1: Stacy, which is one of the things you mentioned with your testing was that you had low levels of vitamin C and magnesium, despite supplementing with those, as we talked about on episode 446, where we talked about nutrition, nutrient deficiencies caused by stress. Did you have to up your supplementation of those through this process, or were you able to normalize the levels just through actually managing
0: cortisol? Both. So my vitamin C fixed itself. My magnesium I ended up adding a magnesium lotion. I think that my body was not properly absorbing the magnesium that I was taking. Mm. Um, We talked about a certain brand here on the show before, which I stopped taking and had switched to a different one that I don't think was being absorbed as well. And I say that because I wasn't getting the same kind of like sleepy effect at night from it either. So I just stopped started with a magnesium lotion rubbing my feet before bed which is another act of self-care and it's uh worked great so i i didn't have to like increase supplementation of either but i did add a magnesium lotion so one of the things that i want as we sort of wrap
1: up this this reshare and this update and kind of this opportunity to um point to the the really sort of diverse set of resources that we've already created on um, that, that stress seesaw, where we want to ideally both decrease the load, but also increase our resilience. So again, it's at least equal. Ideally, at, ideally there's room in our bucket. I'm mixing metaphors here, but ugh, that's that's what we do in the show. Um, ideally, there's more room in our bucket for something unexpected, right? So we don't want to always be walking around with a full bucket. Ideally, we'd be able to have space in there, so if we get stuck in a traffic jam, that's not like the straw that breaks the camel's back. But I, I really want to a say congratulations because you worked really hard, and it's really fantastic that you were able to see results in two months. Because again, uh, it's it's helpful for our listeners to know that there's a lot of different inputs into the system, and so it takes persistence to get it to change the where it's regulating itself. So instead of regulating itself at really really on and cortisol is way too high it takes it takes time and persistence for for that to become a new level where it's regulating itself in a normal range so it is something that just it takes it it, it takes some patience but i think one of the things that's really powerful about you sharing your story stacy is the even though for you, it was focusing on this one choice because it ended up having this like downstream effect on everything else in your day. It's, it's a really great illustration to show how multifactorial working on stress can be for people. And hopefully there is one choice that our listeners can focus on to be like, Oh, that's, that's my thing that when I change that one thing, everything else will kind of start to, to fall into place. But it also helps to kind of emphasize that it's a collection of small changes. Even if one feels like a big deal to you, it's still a collection of small things that are each on its own a manageable choice that we can make that add up to stress management.
0: Yes, thank you. Oh definitely. I hope I relayed how I had to, as a rebel, mentally just address one thing but that then I would make choices along the way that would be in support of all the other things that you're talking about and I also just want to reiterate like the science of cortisol is also something that really helped me want to make those changes knowing that it was affecting my digestion my metabolism and my immune system especially were things that I'm always trying to work on and tweak and improve that we've talked about here a lot on the show and I'm like why am I doing all of this stuff to like not eat food that i love like tomatoes and like you know all this stuff and yet i'm not doing some basic work that i know has an even greater effect on those systems because of the sleep because of the cortisol. So i think you know logic for me was super important in doing that and i you know want to thank you Sarah for pulling that science together but also kind of remind from a layman's term that if you think about your body having high cortisol, and also, we, we didn't talk about it, but, like, low cortisol can also be detrimental to your mm-hmm. health in, you know, different kinds of ways, but it's just as important. Um, and for me to know that, like, hey, my body thinks that it's constantly being chased by a tiger, and therefore it's never going to work on all these things that I'm trying to make efforts to tell it to work on. Like, it's never going to be able to do that because it's fighting a tiger. So that was just like that light bulb moment for me. Like, this is important. This is worth it. I need to, I need to do it. And I know that that's not fun or easy to make those choices. (laughs) Like it's not, it it wasn't fun to be like, you guys keep having fun. I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, but now that I'm on the other side of it, um, definitely worthwhile and um, normalized my schedule a bit to more align to the children, but also to get that adequate sleep. And I'm no longer having that kind of mood dysregulation and anxiety to wake up multiple times in the middle of the night like I was. Just overall, so much improvement. And that's not to say that I'm not going to keep working on things, but that to know that I took something into my own hands and then I made the choice and I'm working with medical professionals um, and feeling better. I just, that's what we talk about all the time on the show as it relates to health, right? Like these metrics of health that we look at and being able to be in control of that and to make choices for myself is a thing that also means that you're taking care of others. So just kind of like the last shout out to all the caretakers out there, um, especially like those people that we hear from that have young children. I just want to reiterate that like you taking care of yourself is an act of self-care, but it's also an act of care for others. Because if you're not your best self, if your mood isn't regulated, if you're not feeling your best, if you've got chronic health that's going to affect your health negatively down the line, You're not um, doing the best by those you want to take care of either. So sometimes it's hard for us as caretakers to put ourselves first, that cliche of oxygen mask on yourself first. But literally, Mm -hmm. if you run out of oxygen, you can't take care of the person next to you, right? So making that commitment to yourself, if it helps you make that decision, just know that it is also in the best interest of those around you and you're not being selfish. You're actually doing everyone a favor. So no guilt about that. No guilt about how long it's been since, you know, this has been going on and what it's done to you, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. All that matters is like the choice you make now and going forward that helps you feel your best. And, um, I hope that we've inspired you to, make a change if necessary, or to feel good about what it is you're already doing. And thank you, Sarah, for giving me that pat on the back. I might have needed it.
1: (laughs) Uh, We always need a pat on the back. And uh, it's sometimes it's hard to give it to ourselves. So anytime, anytime. I know we're going to continue this conversation over on Patreon. I invite everyone listening to come join us over there. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. We love providing the whole view podcast for you as a free resource. You can support the show by using the links and codes we share in our podcast. And we love to read your reviews and chats wherever you listen. And
0: don't forget to share our podcast with your friends and family. Speaking of chat, did you know that you can get exclusive behind the scenes content on Patreon? When you support us with your Patreon membership, you get access to live Q and A's and weekly bonus audio, but they're not for kids ears because our bonus content is explicit you can also stay in touch with us via our social media channels. I'm at real everything Blog, And I'm at
1: the paleomom. And we've got more great resources on our websites and in our newsletters. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game
0: that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death